Please pray with me. Oh God, by your Holy Spirit, you have illumined your word and given us understanding to know you, the only true God. What a marvel that the finite can know the infinite and that one day we will fully know you. Until then, Lord, set us on the path to an ever-deepening knowledge of the majesty of our Christ. Begin right now as we look at this passage of Second Peter. Fill my mouth, Father, with your words. May they be accurate and empowered by your Holy Spirit. This I ask in the name above all names, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. What do you know to be true about Jesus Christ? Who do you say he is? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples the same question. He asked, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Do you know Jesus as the living God? How much do you know about Jesus' true identity? Do you know him as the only righteous one and sovereign savior? The perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The prince of peace, gentle shepherd, gracious Lord, mighty redeemer, and the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do you know him as the majestic king of kings? Have you experienced him in any of these ways in your personal life, in an intimate personal knowledge? How profound would you say your knowledge is of him? Is it head knowledge or heart knowledge? The Hebrew word for the English word know as it's used in this sense is yada. That discovery made me laugh. Culturally, we picked up that word and we use it to say blah, 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 or etc., etc., etc. Literally translated, we would say, I know, I know, I know. But the true meaning of the word yada describes a personal, intimate, experiential knowledge. When uh, Genesis 4.1 states that Adam knew Eve, it literally reads that Adam yada Eve. This means Adam knew Eve in the most intimate of ways. Genesis 18.19 speaks of God's knowledge or yada of man. Talking about Abraham, God said, for I have known or chosen him. The emphasis here is on the fact that God knew Abraham personally and intimately. God, yada, Abraham. Yada also speaks of man knowing God. In Exodus 33:13, Moses asked the Lord to teach him his ways so that he may know or yada him. The Apostle Paul speaks of the same kind of knowledge of God in Philippians 3.10 when he says, I desire to know him. In other words, yada him and the power of his resurrection. To truly know or to yada God 
is to have a first-hand knowledge of him in a personal, intimate relationship. This is why he reveals himself to us. In our passage this week, Peter shows us the God he knew personally, intimately. His witness about Jesus was yada, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21, Peter gives his first-hand account of what he saw, heard, and felt during a literal mountaintop experience with Jesus Christ. He then connects what he personally experienced with what was foretold by the prophets because he literally saw them fulfilled. Peter really, really wants his readers to yada Christ in all his divine majesty because he wants them to long for his return. That is the truth we will explore in this passage. A deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty increases our longing for his return. We will explore that truth in two divisions, majestic sun revealed and morning star rising. Our first division is majestic sun revealed, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Now, when we study God's Word, it is always important to keep it in context. Author and pastor Bob Deffenbaugh helps us do that with this passage. He says the principal problem underlying 2 Peter is the seductive heresies of false teachers who pervert the gospel, distort the scriptures, downplay eternity, and seek to entice followers who will join them in their addiction to fleshly lust. We are to overcome these men and their errors by standing firmly on the promises of God's sure and certain word, by personal growth and maturity in our faith, by taking note of God's dealings with the righteous and the rebels in Old Testament times, by looking for our Lord's return, and by taking heed to the inspired epistles of the other apostles. The sufficiency of the scriptures is the principal theme of Second Peter. With that context in mind, look at verse 16. Peter begins by rebutting the accusations of the false teachers. He writes, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. One reason that the false teachers of Peter's day questioned the truth of the gospel message was because Jesus had not yet fulfilled his promise to return. Many of Jesus' apostles and disciples had already died. Still, no Jesus. They concluded that the message that they preached was just a cleverly devised myth, a wild fairy tale. Peter responds by declaring that he and his fellow apostles did not follow cleverly devised myths. 
No, they lived and they willingly died to make the truth about Jesus Christ known, specifically his power and his coming. He says, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note Peter's use of the pronoun we. His witness was backed up by the other apostles. When he speaks of being eyewitnesses of his majesty, the we included two other witnesses. The apostles John and James, the sons of thunder, they were also there. The word Peter uses for coming is parousia, which throughout the New Testament refers to the second coming of Christ. Peter wants his readers to know that Christ promised to return in person still holds true. The word parousia emphasizes the idea of personal presence, for one to be near or alongside another, or the act by which a person becomes near. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be real, visible, and personal. Indeed, Peter tells us that he, John and James, caught a glimpse of what Jesus will be like when he returns. This glimpse affirmed their hope of Christ's return. Peter wanted everyone who read his epistle to be just as certain of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he details his own personal, intimate, first-hand experience of Jesus so that we too might personally know or yada Jesus in all his divine majesty. He knew that a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty would increase our longing for his return. He gives us his account of an incredible event, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. In Joshua chapter 22, the Israelites erected an altar and named it Witness because it served to remind them and future generations that the Lord is God. Here, Peter is the witness, an eyewitness. He personally saw God's majestic glory revealed in Jesus. He gives witness to what he saw, heard, and, and knew. He yada Jesus Christ as God's beloved son. In John chapter 1 verse 14, the apostle John records his own testimony of this mind-blowing experience. He writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John and Peter both reference the event that took place on what is now known as the Mount of Transfiguration. Early Christian tradition maintains that the Transfiguration took place on Mount Tabor, located in Lower Galilee and sitting at the eastern end of the Jezreel Valley. This mountain rises over 1,800 feet high. Scripture refers to it as a symbol of majesty and greatness. 
And Jeremiah 46, 18 says, As I live, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Like Tabor among the mountains, and like Carmel by the sea, shall one come. Well, the one to come is none other than Jesus Christ. Preparing his disciples to return to Jerusalem where he would be handed over to the religious leaders and crucified. He took his inner circle of disciples, Peter, John, and James, up Mount Tabor with him. Suddenly, he was transfigured before them. The Greek word for transfigured is metamorphosis a word we most often associate with the transformation of a caterpillar into a butterfly. However, Jesus' metamorphosis transformed his human flesh into majestic glory. Jesus is God, but when he walked this earth, he did so as God incarnate, God in human flesh. His incarnation required him to set aside his divine glory. At his transfiguration, he pulled back the veil of his humanness to reveal his true divine glory to Peter, John, and James. They personally witnessed his awesome glory. This was an intimate, first-hand experience of the very person of Jesus Christ. They yada, 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 his glory. The gospel writers struggled to describe his appearance. Matthew says that his appearance changed dramatically in their presence, and his face shone with heavenly glory, clear and bright like the sun, and his clothing became as white as light. Mark says that he was changed in form before them and began to shine brightly with divine and regal glory. His clothes became radiant and dazzling, intensely white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Luke says that the appearance of his face became different, actually transformed, and his clothing became white and flashing with the brilliance of lightning. Have these descriptions helped you to catch a small glimpse of Jesus' majestic glory? Peter testifies to what he saw to give us a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty. His goal is to strengthen our hope and increase our longing for Jesus' return. To that end, he backs up his eyewitness account with what he, John and James, Heard. He gives us an ear witness account, so to speak. Verses 17 through 18. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, John, and James heard what is known as the Kol Yahweh, the very voice of God. 
Peter calls this voice the majestic glory. God himself proclaimed the honor and glory of his one and only beloved son. God himself declared that he was well pleased with his son. The revelation of his glory and the proclamation of his glory left no doubt as to the gospel truth the apostles proclaimed. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a cleverly devised myth. And his power and promise to return are undeniable, solid truth. Do you believe that, my friend? Do you live like you believe that? You and I must yada the truth about Jesus Christ. We must constantly reinforce the foundational truths about him to remain rooted in him. We must be prepared for when false teachers begin whispering false doctrines into our ears and for when Satan seeks to weaken and tear down truth by whispering his lies. Keeping our eyes fixed on the majestic glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and our ears open to the coal Yahweh or the very voice of God equips us to stay the course, to run the race set before us, and to remain grounded in the absolute truth of God's word. This is the reason Peter follows his teaching on spiritual growth in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8 through 8, with his eyewitness account of the transfiguration. Remember the faith supplements he prescribes. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are, your, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I must yada, yada, yada our Lord Jesus Christ. Such knowledge is precious and powerful. It not only increases our longing for Christ's return, but it transforms us now, making us increasingly fit for heaven. The incredible truth that emerges from Peter's incredible eyewitness and earwitness account is that a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty increasingly transforms us into his likeness. That is our first truth. A deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty increasingly transforms us into his likeness. How fit are you for heaven? What do you need to do to deepen your personal relationship with God? What will you do differently beginning today to yada him? 
Remember, yada means to perceive, to know intimately, to understand, to experience. You and I develop this kind of relationship with God by nurturing a reverential fear of Him through the study of His character revealed in His Word. This is why we include one attribute every week in our study of His Word. We deepen our relationship with God by talking to Him daily, just like we talk to our best friends. And we deepen our spiritual grasp of His majesty by praising and worshiping Him every day. Commit to gaining a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty. Such knowledge will increasingly transform you into his likeness. Peter understood this. To his eyewitness and earwitness account, he adds one more witness, the witness of God's word. That is the subject of our second division, Morning Star Rising, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Verse 19 must remain connected to verses 16 through 18. Peter says that we have seen Christ's glory. We have heard God's proclamation about him. And, look at verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Again, the pronoun we refers to the apostles. Peter is referring to himself and all the apostles who made known the power and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. After the revelation of Christ's divine majesty, the Old Testament prophecies became more sure than ever for the apostles. R.C. Sproul notes that the apostles did not need to see the prophetic word of the Old Testament confirmed by what they would learn in the New Testament era. Peter, as with all the Jews of his day, was already convinced of the full authority of the scriptures of the Old Testament. Peter is declaring that what they had heard audibly on the Mount of Transfiguration is confirmed by the prophets. This is a common motif of the New Testament, that the truth of the New Testament is declared as it represents a fulfillment of something in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. We cannot really understand the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. Or as Augustine once said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. What Peter and the other apostles taught was far more real than any myth, even a cleverly devised one. The prophecies of the Old Testament were more fully confirmed because they had seen so many of them fulfilled in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they could trust in the prophetic word which declared that Jesus will one day return in glory. 
Peter had walked with Jesus long enough to develop a wholehearted trust in the fulfillment of every one of God's prophecies. Think about his personal, intimate, firsthand experience with Jesus. He yada, 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 all the prophecies Jesus fulfilled. He possessed a more fully confirmed prophetic word. Eyewitnesses and ear witnesses have their place. But God need not appear in the flesh to enlighten believers or to confirm his promises to them. Seeing spectacular revelations like the transfiguration are not necessary for us to believe God. The revelation of God's word is all we need. What a knowledge of the majesty of Jesus Christ is ours. We have an even fuller picture than the apostles since we have the entire counsel of God's word. This deep, deep knowledge should cause us to perpetually stand on tiptoe in anticipation of his return. In the next part of verse 19, note Peter's exhortation to pay attention. Pay attention to God's prophetic word. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. Pay attention. Do not give scripture a superficial read. Dig deep. Mind the diamonds. Apply the truths revealed to your daily life. Never, ever leave the preaching and teaching of God's word unchanged. Ask God to show you how he wants you to change through the truth of his word. Pay attention. Now to the harder parts of verse 19. It says, and you still need to pay attention. First, we are to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place. The dark place refers to this fallen world. More personally, the metaphor of darkness refers to the condition of our hearts and our minds. We are, by nature, children of darkness who shun the light because we prefer the darkness. In other words, we are born hostile to God. When Jesus came into the world, he came as the light of the world. John chapter 1 verses 4 through 5 says that he is the word who gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This light is the light to which we would do well to pay attention until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That is the last and most difficult part of verse 19 to interpret. Scholars differ on what Peter means. However, it is logical to think that both a day dawning and a morning star rising announce the arrival of the light which extinguishes the darkness of night. 
when we become believers by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we become children of light. The darkness of our souls is illumined and we are given light to see and understand God's word. We are also given enough light to yada our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty increases our longing for his return. This longing gives us the possible meaning of the phrase, the morning star rises in your hearts. In scripture, the identity of the morning star is revealed in several places. First, in Numbers chapter 24, one of the prophecies of Balaam declares, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. For the Jews, this prophecy held the treasured promise of God's Messiah. He is the star coming out of Jacob. He is the one who holds the scepter forevermore. Genesis 49.10 proclaims that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. R.C. Sproul says that the scepter is the symbol of royalty, the sign of authority of the king. And that scepter of kingship is promised to the one who will come from the tribe of Judah, from which comes David and then David's greater son, our Lord himself. Did you catch that? The greater son is the lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus himself declares, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. To you, Yada the one who holds the eternal scepter of the eternal kingdom of God? Deepen your knowledge of his divine majesty. That will increase your longing for his return. So will a deeper knowledge of the prophecies contained in God's breathed out word. Peter affirms this in verses 20 through 21. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These two verses provide invaluable teaching on the absolute truth and sufficiency of scripture. How often do you see people bend and twist the truth to suit their own sinful desires or cast doubts on what God has clearly said in his word? The age-old sin which caused Adam and Eve to fall in the Garden of Eden is repeated. Did God really say that? When Peter says in verse 20 that no prophecy of scripture came from someone's own interpretation, he is warning us not to play fast and loose with the meaning of scripture. It must 
always be kept in context with the entirety of the Word of God, and it must always be illumined by the Holy Spirit of God. Many people today argue that everyone has their own personal interpretation of the Bible. They say, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. Or they might say, that's how you see it. I see it differently. Peter was preparing to leave this earth. He knew it was vital to remind his fellow believers of the foundational truths needed to grow in the faith and stand firm against spiritual attack. To this end, he reinforces the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures. He knew that this written revelation would remain long after he was gone and how right he was. You and I are still reading and studying the same words centuries upon centuries later. He tells us that all scripture is from the Holy Spirit of God, not from man. Men die, but the word of God lives on. Believers depend on the truth of the living word to be saved, nurtured, guided, and protected as they trust and obey it. This world is dark, but the word of God shines brightly through believers who heed the word and govern their lives by what it says. As the world is led astray, and destroyed by false teaching, God, through his word, enlightens believers to grow spiritually and contend for the faith. More importantly, God, through his word, deepens our knowledge of Christ's divine majesty. Through his word, we yada the authentic Christ, not the Christ of our own making. And the deeper our knowledge of Christ's divine majesty, the more we will long for his return. This is what Peter wants for our readers. So he points them to God's breathed out word. This gives us our second truth. A deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty is gained by regular study of God's breathed out word. How has the light of God's word revealed Christ's glory to you? In what ways has this revelation changed your relationship with him? How might a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty inform your deepest longings? Yada, yada, yada is not something the ancient Israelites could say about God because they so often chose to divide their attention between worshiping idols and worshiping the Holy One of Israel. They did not long for an intimate relationship with the Lord because they did not know or yada the one true God on a deep level. They failed to fulfill their calling to shine his light to the Gentiles because they did not know him on a deep level. Because their knowledge of God was shallow, they lived just like the pagans around them. The Lord faithfully sent prophet 
after prophet, to speak forth the truth of what it means to know or yada him. He says, if they yada him, they would long for him, imitate his righteous character, and worship him alone as their majestic king. For you and me, this kind of knowledge, a deeper knowledge of Christ's divine majesty, is just as transformational. And such knowledge is gained by the regular study of God's breathed-out word. What do you know to be true about Jesus Christ? If he was standing right in front of you and he asked you, who do you say I am? What would be your response? Would your witness be that he is the Christ, the son of the living God? How well do you know him? God's people should eagerly anticipate his second coming. But how can we love someone we do not know? How can we long for someone we do not know? We need a deeper knowledge of our Savior's divine character, a deeper grasp of his majestic glory. Can you say of him, yada, yada, yada? I know, I know, I know him. If you cannot yet do that, what will you do this week to get to know him better, to nurture an intimate heart knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He reveals his glory to us in his living, breathing, unchanging word. Are you taking advantage of his self-revelation? Do you yada him? A deeper knowledge of his divine majesty increases our longing for his return. He is coming back. And when he does, he will reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. How intense is your longing for that glorious day? If you're longing, for his return is lukewarm or non-existent. Begin now to deepen your knowledge of his divine majesty. Such knowledge will thrill your soul with the certainty of his return. Please pray with me. Thank you, mighty God, for stooping from your heavenly throne to reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us this week to more fully absorb the light of your revelation, to truly come to know you, to yada you in fresh new ways. Deepen our knowledge of Christ's divine majesty to increase our longing for his return. Until that glorious day, fill us with your spirit and anchor us in your word, that we may all be transformed by your power into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that I pray. Amen.